Well, good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. Excited to worship alongside you all this morning. Hey, let's be reminded of the great work that we have through our Savior, Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, it says this, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. And so it's, it's because of that that we can celebrate this morning. It's nothing but the blood of Jesus that covers our sins. So let's stand together and let's worship this morning.
Good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. So glad to see you here today. Welcome, uh, both those of you that are here in the room with us and those of you that are here online with us. We're so glad that you're here to worship and, and to celebrate and to open the word and see what it, how it applies to our life with us today. And so we're so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Andy Petrie, and I have the privilege of leading our Celebrate Recovery ministry here at Fellowship Fayetteville. And God is doing some really incredible things uh, every single Friday night, and I'm so excited to share a couple of those things with you. But first, we've got Easter coming up in just a few short weeks. So on April 17th, uh, some of you are like, wow, that's that quick. Yeah, put it on your calendar. Don't forget it. Uh, April 17th, we've got Easter coming up. And so we wanted to let you guys know uh, a couple of the, uh, what that morning's gonna look like and what those service times look like. And so you see up there on the screen, we've got a couple different things going on that morning. Of course, we have our normal services that'll be happening at 9 and 10.30 here in this room. But we've also got a 7.30 a.m. sunrise service that'll be happening out in the parking lot. And then at the same time, as our normal services, we have a family service that's going to be happening outside. And so we've got a lot of different options. And so look and see which one's going to be best for you and your family. We're so excited uh, for, for Easter coming up and so excited to see you there that morning. Uh, also, you know, I mentioned just a second ago that God is doing some really incredible things throughout our Celebrate Recovery ministry, and uh, one of the things that happened uh, just a few weeks ago is that we celebrated our third anniversary, three years of having Celebrate Recovery here at Fellowship Fayetteville. Yeah, that's a big deal. <laughs> I can't believe that it's already been, uh, been that long. Uh, and, and that night when we, when we celebrated that together, one of the things that we did is we asked a couple folks to say, hey, uh, in, in, a, in a sentence, how would you describe the impact that Celebrate Recovery has had on your life as you've been attending and, and letting God work through the hurts, hangups, and habits that you've got going on in your life? And I wanted to share just a couple of responses of some of the folks that what they had to say. There was one guy that said this. He said that Celebrate Recovery had helped him to go from losing himself in his sexual sin and codependency to being grounded in Jesus and the identity that he has given him. Uh, and then there was a woman that said this, that Celebrate Recovery, as she's been attending over the past three years, has helped her to go from living a life of the fear of man and low self-worth to living in freedom in Christ and depending solely on him and living with the confidence of being the daughter of the king. Isn't that incredible? And then a married couple. I, I love this one. A married couple, just been coming for about nine months. This is what they had to say, that Celebrate Recovery helped them from going from being on the brink of divorce to being best friends who stay up each night reading scripture and walking with Jesus together. It's incredible to sit in this room every single Friday night and watch the things that God is doing with people within our church and those within our community as we walk through whatever issues we've got going on within our life. And we wanted to let you know you are always welcome every single Friday night here, no matter what you're going through, no matter what's going on in your life, knowing that no matter how long we've been attending church, we're still a little bit messed up. And we still need the grace of Jesus within our life. And so if you want to get plugged in to celebrate recovery, just simply come on a Friday night. Our nights start. We have a, a service in this room every Friday at 7 p.m. 
Uh, and the, the main content of that service goes from a teaching throughout our Celebrate Recovery uh, curriculum or a life change story of somebody that has walked through this and found healing and hope. Then we break off into these things called open share small groups at eight and then hang out and have coffee and dessert afterwards. And so if you want to come, check it out. You're more than welcome. We'd love to see you here every single Friday night at 7 p.m. Uh, and aren't you so glad that we're a church where it's okay to not be okay, but we can still be pointed towards the hope and freedom that we have in Christ? That we have a big God that sees us in the middle of our mess and that we can come to him with whatever we've got? Well, that's what we're gonna do this morning too. And so would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your goodness and your greatness and your love for us. Lord, I pray that as we worship you this morning, as we open your word and see what it says in regard to our life, Father, that you would bring us closer to you, that you'd reveal to us just a little bit more the way that you love us and just how great you are. It's in Jesus' name, amen. As the offering plates are being passed, let's stand together and let's reflect on the greatness of God that we just heard through those incredible stories that Andy shared with us. Let's sing out this morning. How great is our God. Oh, sing with me. How great is our God. And all will sing. How great, how great is our God. This
Father, in the great name of your son, Jesus, we come to you as a church, our church family, and we ask that you would guide us this morning. Help us understand your scriptures. Help us glorify you in all we do during this time. God, uh, may your word come to life for us that we could experience life that is truly life that John speaks of. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Hey, if you're new with us or uh, you haven't been part of our series that we started last week, just wanted to remind you that um, we have our study guides, our journal guides available for you for small group use, for devotional use. Um, There's great questions in there to help you learn how to become a better student of the scriptures. And uh, we'd love for you to pick one of those up. They're seven bucks um, and they're out there in uh, in the information booth this morning. Uh, well, my name is Clark, and have the privilege of uh, serving on staff here, and been really excited, Steve, to have you with us this morning. Steve Graves is going to be walking us through I Am the Light this morning, and uh, he and Karen, um, when I was thinking about just uh, some of our time together over the years, Steve, um, you know, our, uh, our mission statement is to produce and release spiritual leaders who know and express the authentic Christ in Northwest Arkansas and the world, and you and Karen have really lived that out. And uh, they have such a passion and a love for the local church and its impact in our community and the world. And uh, your influence in the lives of, of a lot of our pastoral team, um, it's gone on for generations now. And so I uh, really appreciate your service. Uh, he's got an incredible knack for unpacking the scriptures and helping us practically apply them in business, in life, and in the home. And uh, Steve, uh, could you go ahead and come up here and uh, just want to give you a a good little awkward adult <laughs> hug here, and uh, thank you for awesome. being with us this morning. Hey, man, thanks to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, appreciate that, Clark. You know, introductions are always interesting. Um, you know, they, they can either be inflated on one side or maybe understated on the other. They're just kind of sometimes really interesting. Um, but the purpose of an introduction is actually not to let us get any real deep insight into anybody. It's just to kind of give us a, a sound bite or a... a, a handle that we can kind of get somebody into a box and then we can move on down the road. <clears throat> if you want to really get to know somebody deeper and you want to really get to know somebody at their deepest essence, their core, kind of their wiring, what, 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 what makes them really who they are, you got to hang with them for a while. You got to spend some time together or you can take a personality test. Um, I don't know if you've ever had any of these, but there are dozens and dozens of them out there. There's right past, I've taken all of these. Right past DISC, uh, Berkman, and then there's the more, most popular uh, as of late, the Enneagram. Um, how many people have ever taken any of these personality tests ever? Yeah. Yeah, was it helpful? A little bit, maybe? Some? Not, not as helpful? Yeah. Had a friend not too long ago who basically took a personality test, getting ready to join a company, <clears throat> and we were talking about it, and he, I said, and we were talking after that, and I said, hey, how'd that thing go? And he literally said to me, I think I failed it. I said, I said, man, you, you, don't, you can't fail a personality test. And he said, I, I really think I did. And I said, I don't even know what to say. I just, I'm, I'm lost. Um, the old classic that, that I've seen forever and still love are these four animals. You ever seen these? The old, old classics, the old steady, uh, loyal to death, uh, little, no drama at all. Everybody loves the golden retriever, Okay. And then you got the task-driven, get-her-done, busy beaver. And then what you got is you got the playful, fun-loving, life-of-the-party otter. 
And then, of course, you got that, you know, that kind of that confident, dominant, leader of the pack lion. Remember that one? All right, so here we go. Who in the room, where are the, where are the golden retrievers? Come on. We love you guys. Love a golden retriever, okay? Where are the beavers that get it all done? Okay. Now, look, you realize there's only four animals. Okay, you got to raise your hand during one of them, okay? All right, we've got two left. All right, who's the fun-loving otters? There you go. Thank you, Sid. Yes, you are. And then there's the lions. Okay, lions kind of don't mind raising their hands, but they're also a little nervous that other people are going to say something. All right. Four animals, they're a lot of fun. If you want to go on a fun family vacation, go with a whole bunch of otters. It's going to be a little loose. A few things are going to fall through the cracks, but you're going to have a lot of fun. By the time I was 35, I wanted to have some sense of who I was at my deepest core, my real essence. If you peel me back, who was it really that I am in my wiring, my giftedness, who I really was? And I discovered that at my core, I'm a macro strategist, I'm an encourager, I'm a content farmer, and I'm a connector. That's who I am at my core. It lives itself out all the time. When I'm in my best version of myself, I'm in the best version of some of those combinations of those four, okay? You say, Steve, what's the deal with the animals and the personality test? Glad you asked. When we drop into the Gospels, Jesus is the primary character that's unfolding in the story of the whole New Testament. And one of the things that people were constantly trying to figure out is who is this Jesus? Who is this person at his core, at his deepest essence? Who is he? And I'm talking about everybody. His family, his friends, his disciples, political leaders, social leaders, business leaders, everybody. And they were asking, who is, is, he, is he a miracle worker? Is he just this awesome people recruiter? Is he a, a powerful teacher, a world-class debater, a false prophet? Who is he? Jesus even asked people periodically, who do you think I am? One little principle, write this down, you might want to think about this later, is Jesus constantly pressed people to process and decide who they thought he really was. He constantly pushed people to explore and conclude who they thought he was. And then when we go open up the Gospel of John, here's what we have. We have the clearest, most straightforward, most simple introduction of Jesus by Jesus. He gives us seven I am statements. Clark opened up the one last week with I'm the bread of life. And today we're gonna jump into the I am the light of the world. The second I am statement. So let's open, open your Bibles, go to your phones or whatever device you might have that has that for you. Open that up and let's look at John chapter eight. Um, and let's just, let's just lock on verse 12 first, and then we're going to back up and start working on it, okay? Now, here's what I want us to do today. We're going to do three kind of foundational observations to frame our thinking, and then we're going to do kind of three practical applications to take home and digest, okay? Because that kind of maps out kind of our time together, kind of split right down the middle, half and half, okay? We're going to go fast, so, so hang on. Uh, let's go. First foundational observation. In the Bible, light and life are identified with the true God, and darkness and death are identified with counterfeit gods or enemies of the true God. Now, look, I know that's a mouthful, but see if you can just read it again real quick. 
Get your head around that. So from the beginning of the Bible, literally the opening of the Bible in Genesis chapter one, verse one, God says, I made light, light is good, and I'm separating light and darkness. Go to the very last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And, and, the, and, and the writer says, basically, I'm going to sunset. God says, I'm going to sunset this concept of light and dark fighting and battling against each other. Those days are gone. But between the Genesis and the Revelation text, there's 275 references at least where light and dark are stacked together. There's one in 1 Peter, and I gave you one in Acts just to show you examples. But the big idea is this. Throughout the Bible, all the way from the opening chapter of the first book to the last chapter of the last book, we have these two stacks. The stacks are light, life, and true God are stacked against dark, death, and the counterfeit God or counterfeit concept at large. Make sense? Keep rolling. Number two, God used light to connect to and guide his people. Now, there are two set-up scenes that basically set the stage for Jesus to walk up and say, I'm the light of the world. Let me give you both of them. The first one is where Jesus basically, he, he references, go to chapter uh, eight, verse two, and he references being in the temple again. See that? Well, Jesus spent a lot of time in the temple. He was there again. This particular time, there was something going on in the temple that was setting the stage for the second I am statement. Go back to chapter seven, verse two, and you'll see this. There was something about to take place called the festival or the feast of the shelters. Your translation might say tabernacles. It might say tents. It might say booths. All the same thing. The first setup scene is this thing called the feast of the tabernacles. Now, let me tell you what this was. Once a year, all the people would get together and they would road trip to Jerusalem. You ever been on a road trip? Been on a road trip with friends, with family? We've taken a bunch through the years, ski trips, mountain trips, beach trips, branching trips. Um, my family actually took a driving road trip with our adult children all the way up the coast of California. Um, and that was, that was quite interesting and a lot of fun. Um, road trips can be a ton of fun. Now, here's the difference. When the people of Israel were road tripping to Jerusalem, it, it wasn't just a, a family vacation with a, a bundle with a bunch of friends and, a, and great food stops, okay? It was a road trip with a purpose. And the purpose was to galvanize their faith in the God that had taken care of them their whole life. They pull one thing out of their history called the, the rescue from Egypt to the promised land. Remember that story? Kind of lots of the Old Testaments about it. And what they did is they would relive that over and over and over with their children and their friends because that was when basically God pulled them out miraculously and he led them around. And how did he do it? He led them with a cloud during the day and a what at night? Fire. So once a year, they would all road trip to Jerusalem. When they would get to Jerusalem, they would light these, these fires. Now, don't think solo stove in your backyard, okay? Think... Uh, a&M bonfire, or, or think Olympic cauldron. There's this massive 75-foot-high fire that would light up the entire city. And for seven days and nights, this fire would be burning. 
and they would dance and they would eat and they would sing and they would celebrate and all the old geezers like me would tell the same old stories with the same old punchlines and the kids would roll their eyes and like, oh man, that again? But they would constantly rehearse how God had taken care of them through the fire at night once a year. That was their festival. They were reminded of a few things. They were reminded that God said, I'm still here. You're not alone. And I'm going to guide your every step. That's what that, that, was the core, that was the core essence. And they would remind themselves of that and bring it all the way from back then to like right now. And they would remind themselves that he's still there. I'm not alone. And he will guide my every step. Now, there was a little twist, though, that happened here. The twist was, and it's seen in the opening of the gospel of John itself, Jesus basically was saying, hey, listen, all of this stuff you've ever heard about the light and what the light does and all of that, it's being poured into me, a person. It's not just a matter of historical memories and principles and traditions. All of that stuff is being poured into me, and that's why when he stood into that moment, when the last night and the opening morning after the seventh day, when the fire burned out of this huge celebration for seven days, he said, I'm the light of the world. You want your God to be still there? You want your God to still be guiding you your every step? That's me, Jesus said. That's the first setup scene. The second setup scene is this. It's basically that, uh, go, go, back to John, go back to John 8 and just look at the whole chapter for a second, okay? The second setup scene basically opens this statement here. It gives us an idea that sometimes darkness is obvious, but sometimes darkness is kind of veiled. That's kind of our foundational thought. And it's all captured in this one big text, okay? So sometimes darkness is obvious, you see it, but sometimes it's not. The first setup was the Feast of Tabernacles. Into that moment, Jesus said, hey, I'm the light of the world. Let me show you the second setup scene. The second setup scene is basically, there's a couple of human expressions of darkness in this story. Let's read it, and I wanna see, just see if you can kind of capture the, 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 the two expressions of human darkness. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They asked him to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground or in the earth. Love to know what he was writing with his finger. When they persisted, he questioned him. He stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you, why don't you go pick up the first stone and toss it at her? Then he stooped down. He started writing again, like he was finishing his sentence or his thought. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, only he, was, only he was left with the woman in the center. I've always thought it was interesting, the older men are the ones that started leaving early. That's interesting. 
When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are you? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered, neither do I. Go, and from now on, sin no more. You see the two human expressions of, of darkness? One's obvious, one's more veiled. The more obvious is the woman. Here's a woman caught in the middle of adultery. She was obviously living in a dark pattern of life. We have no idea her background. We know, don't know the details. Don't know why anybody falls into that kind of pattern of life. Could be bad background, horrible victimization. Maybe she enjoyed the money, a pleasure. I, we don't know, don't know. But we know she was caught in a pattern of darkness. Obvious, hold it. There's another group. You know much about the scribes and Pharisees? We often get them wrong. We miss the punchline with them. The scribes and Pharisees, I think, were also in darkness, but they didn't know it. They weren't aware of it. See, they thought they were the ones generating the light. They thought they were the source of the light. They thought they were the protectors of the light. They weren't. They weren't. And into this moment, this second scene is where Jesus basically says, look, sometimes light is dark, excuse me, sometimes darkness is obvious, and sometimes darkness is more veiled. It's kind of more hidden. We kind of tease it out. It's in those moments, though, that Jesus said, those two setup scenes, I am the light of the world. Make sense? This introduction of himself. Let's go to the three applications. The first one is this. Darkness is real and dangerous. Darkness is real and dangerous. Now, some people just cannot handle bad news. They just literally can't handle anything that's hard, tough, uh, you know, kind of just, just heavy, and so they kind of ignore it. But it's really important that we understand and let darkness do its, its work to shine brightness on the light. Um, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were down in Florida visiting some friends, Ben and Christine Clark. And while we were there, they had um, been going to a new church, and they wanted us to go with them, so we said we'd love to. So we go to church with them, and that particular morning, they had a guest there from an organization called Af Renew Africa, or Africa Renewal. And basically what they do is they help people match sponsoring children or people with other people who can help sponsor and take care of them. Um, and so Ben and Christine that morning, like a number of their people in their church, signed up, and they signed up for this nice-looking uh, young girl here from Africa. And um, some of you might sponsor children with maybe World Vision or Compassion International or Help One Now. I mean, there's dozens of organizations. And if you do, that's fantastic. I mean, just great work. But I got a question for us. Why does... Yvette Miriam, I guess that's her first name, middle name. Why does she need a sponsor? For that matter, why does World Vision even need to be existing? Why, why did, I mean, I'm, I've got three kids, two, two son-in-laws, a daughter-in-law, two grandkids, and none of them have sponsor cards? You say, Steve, come on, man, get real. You live in Fayetteville. My point is this, there is a darkness that literally just kind of envelopes our world, and the darkness is the refugee crisis. It really is real. Some people put the number as 80 million, 80 million 
primarily at least half of them probably are children or kids. The other half are probably women. Have been displaced. They have nowhere to go. They live in shanty tent towns with nothing. That's darkness. It's tough. Go to the next slide. You ever see this? We see these all the time. We usually see this and we get kind of heavy and we get dark and man. But you know what? This happens everywhere. Can you imagine if our town looked like this or your neighborhood like this? And worse, you don't have anywhere to go. Like there is darkness everywhere. Next slide. You see any of these words? Now look, I know I'm heavy. But darkness is real and darkness is dangerous. Every one of these, if you spent 30 minutes or an hour researching and thinking these, and then you just sit on it, you would feel this overwhelming heaviness and darkness. Why? Because darkness is real and darkness is dangerous. If you don't believe that, then the idea and the value of Jesus stepping into the moment for our world at large or your life in specific, it doesn't carry the weight and the meaning that it should. Make sense? So when Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, he assumed that there was darkness. He made that assumption. Now, darkness is not just around the world. It actually can hit me right here. Um, one of the things Fellowship does a great job of is every Thanksgiving, we do a share service. Some of you have, shared, have come to those services. And in those services, I always sit and I'm just amazed at the deep tunnels and valleys that people have to go through the year before. I mean, it's amazing the heavy stuff that happens to people. Losses of kids and parents and illnesses and financial disaster and just, it's crazy. So darkness is real, it's dangerous, and Jesus steps in and says, I'm the light of the world to darkness. Second kind of application I want us to think about and you can take home and kind of spend some time pondering is this. The way out of darkness is to follow Jesus. Now, this is where the crux of the text kind of takes its turn. If you go to John chapter eight and actually look at verse 12 again, it says, he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but the light is theirs. Why does anybody choose darkness? Why would any of us choose darkness? Can you imagine um, being on a trip? You jump in my car with me. We're driving to Little Rock. We, we, we decide to go to the pig trail because we hadn't been there in a long time. And, we're, and the sun just set, and um, we're driving through, and the car in front of us comes at us and blinks the lights. And when they blink the lights, that's to tell us maybe there's a policeman, Slower down, Steve. Probably, hey, Steve, you forgot to turn your lights on. And I could do what? Oh, man, thanks. Fantastic. Or I could start blinking my lights back. You idiot. You're probably just some punk teenager. Don't you invade my personal driving rights? You can't tell me what to do. I mean, I've been driving the pig trail my whole life. I've got more hours logged in my car than you can imagine. I don't need any help from you. There I go. 
It's only two more hours down the pig trail in the complete dark. What could go wrong? Really? Here's another one. Headed out on a vacation, two-week dream vacation. Get out of the neighborhood. Your spouse says, hey, did you remember to turn the lights on outside? Maybe a light or two on the inside? You can just say, oh, I forgot that or yeah, I got it. Or, hey, what are you being so emotional about and fear-based? What could possibly happen in two weeks with our light, with our, with our whole house completely dark? Love this quote. There's two quotes here that capture for me the idea of why we often choose darkness. The fool learns at the end what the wise man learns at the beginning, and it's impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. Um, this last year, I decided that I'm going to study the concept of aging gracefully this year. I came across an article that said basically that there's young old, which is 65 to 75, middle old, 75 to 85, and old old, 85 and beyond. I kind of thought I was the old young. No. According to this article, I'm the young old. So I started studying it. Why? Because I didn't want the same things that I have seen in some other people to happen to me, overly critical, overly judgmental, fear-based, just a bunch of stuff. So I said, you know what? I think I'm going to spend some time studying it. Bought two or three big stacks of books, found 85 sections of scripture to kind of go through and spend some time studying on. Here's my question. Why would I choose? Why would anybody choose to age in the dark? Why? Why would anybody choose to build a romance or a marriage in the dark? Why would I choose to build a business in the dark? Why would I choose to parent in the dark? Why would I choose to build my future and my school choices in the dark? You see where I'm going? We don't have to. But the way out of the darkness is not just figuring out by myself, doing my best. It's following the way, following the light, following the bread, following Jesus, the person who he's introduced as being the way, the direction. Does that make sense? Now, look, let's go back and let's grab one more quick thing. Uh, this is crucial. Where did the scribes and Pharisees end and where did the woman end? The scribes and the Pharisees ended in the same place that they started. They started in darkness. They ended in darkness. Now listen, I believe Jesus was constantly pressing even the scribes and Pharisees to figure out who he was. But they chose not. He was blinking at them and they just like, don't need you. We got it all figured out, cruising down the pig trail. However, the woman, a little different story. Somewhere in that writing on the ground, interfacing with Jesus, she realized, I'm in the dark. I need some help. I, I'm tired of following my own path. I can't do it by myself. I need something else. And somewhere in there, she moves over and she sees Jesus not as just a great teacher, but she sees Jesus as what? Kyrios. No one 
Lord. Somewhere in this narrative, she decided Jesus was going to be her master. Somewhere in there, she came to grips with her darkness and she came to grips with the reality that the person of Jesus was the one to follow into the light. Make sense? All right, let me close with, a, with, with one more quick one. Um, I just want to make sure you have some stuff to really take, take home and think about. Here's the last one. No darkness is really beyond the reach of the light. No darkness is beyond the reach of the light. Now, sometimes we can think this is, is, is true. Some of us can be in, in, in such a bad, dark place that we literally can think, you know what? I get it. I get it, but just not for me. I'm too dark. Or a situation I'm attached to could be too dark. Some hope or some dream or some, something that we wish could happen, and we just say there's no way the light could ever touch that. We're not gonna study it, but I do want you to make a quick note of this guy named Paul in the New Testament. Just jot down Acts 9 and go back and look at it. Because in this story is exactly, exactly what we're talking about happening. Paul is this guy that's full of darkness. He is blinded by what? The light. And he realizes the light is who? Jesus. He's blinded for a while. He comes to light, and he basically lives the rest of his life following the light, the way. So here's the deal. Darkness is real, and it's dangerous. The way out of darkness is to follow Jesus. It's not to figure it out myself. It's not to be you know, overly got to make this happen, is to simply realize that, you know what? Blink, 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 blink. My lights are off. Let me follow the light. And then there's no darkness so far out and beyond that the light can't touch. Let me show you this ending quote for us. Jesus offers light and life to every possible corner of darkness in our world. There's no corner. There is no corner that the light of life, the person of Jesus, can't penetrate and turn that darkness into life. Love this quote by Tim Keller. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we would ever dare believe Yet at the very same time, we were more loved and accepted in Jesus than we could ever dare hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the light of the world. It's amazing what you have brought to us. We're grateful. We're stunned, we're shocked. But we will live in hope, knowing that you are still there. We are not alone, and you will guide our every step. In Christ's name, amen.
In light of that, let's stand and let's respond and worship this morning. Light of the world, you sit down into darkness. Open my eyes and me. That made this heart adore you. Hope of a life has been with you. And here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together.
There's no darkness in your eyes There's no question in your mind God Almighty God of mercy There's no hiding from your face There's no striving in your grace God of mercy God Almighty Let there be light And open the eyes of the blind Purify our hearts in your fire
light that shines above Become the light that shines in us There's no darkness in your way So have morning, God, that you would lead us, you would guide us, you would shine your light on us, God, that we may reflect that, that we may be light into the world as you've called us to be. Thank you for your son. Thank you for that ultimate example that we have and what that looks like. It's in your son's name. Amen. Well, church, before we leave this morning, I want us to read a benediction over the body as we exit the doors. Before we do that, let me remind you that the prayer room is available through these doors to your right. If you want to pray with other people, uh, that is available to you. Let's read this together, church. Our holy and mighty God, you are the light of the world. Empower and equip us through the work of the Holy Spirit to bring your kingdom here. May we, like you, be light into this world and shine like a city on a hill. Love you, fellowship. Have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.